Good morning. <laughs> Hope you um, really had a good Thanksgiving and uh, good week. It's uh, great for Beck and I. We went up to uh, Minnesota to be with her 90-year-old mom and her siblings and their families. And Becky's mom just always kind of blows me away. She's so amazing, so sharp and with it. And I'm just going like, this is Becky's future, you know. She's going to be taking care of me. Um, so, you know, I, I um, what Eli just said about, you know, Christmas and are you happy with it or not? Love hearing the response over there. And I got a video on the way back from Minnesota. I was driving. And um, anyway, it was a family in the church, and they sent me a video of them praying together. They have little kids. And I just love the prayer. Their little boy is praying, and he thanked God for Thanksgiving and, you know, how good that was. And then he went right on, and I thank you for Christmas is coming. I thought that was great, you know. Then she, come on. I thought that was cool. I thought that was pretty awesome. So, so I want to I begin today by first thanking all of you for um, all the encouragement you gave me on last Sunday's sermon. Even as I was preaching, your response to what I was saying and what you said to me afterward really made, made the day for me. It was an incredible time, incredible morning, and in fact, I kind of lived on it all week long. Um, how responsive you were uh, to what was said. And as I, as I mentioned last Sunday, um, this uh, short set of sermons, four of them that Jeff and I are, are, are doing together, uh, mean a whole lot to me because what, what I'm doing, what we're doing over these weeks is really unpacking for all of you what I would say after 39 years of ministry, uh, have, I would say are the most important lessons that I've learned. And it's, it's been kind of fun as I've reflected back on everything that I've, I've experienced with so many of you looking back on these 39 years and being able to, to do that and then boil it all down to really bottom line, what are the principles that I would say make the most difference in our lives, make it possible for us to become everything that God created and redeemed us to be where we're growing in our relationship with God, and, and we're able to, to live the, the kind of life that God wants us to live, what principles those are. And, and so that's what we're talking about. I began last Sunday, doing it again today, and then for the next uh, two weeks. And certainly there's, there are more things that I can share with you. I'll do some of that next year. But these are four uh, of what I would really say are, are the must-do kind of things that we need to have in our life that are critical for us in really becoming what God would have us be. And last Sunday we looked at the first of those, and that is for us to resolve to live a holy and, and God-honoring life. That's the first principle, the first thing for us to do. And that, the, the deal with that is that before any hard thing comes into our life, before there's ever any temptation to compromise, whatever that temptation might be. You and I pre-decide what it is that we will and we will not do. And I, if you missed that sermon last Sunday, it's very important. I, it's one of those times I unapologetically would say, go online and watch that sermon. It is, a, it is one I, I really believe you would find uh, most helpful for your life. Well, this morning, I, I'd like to have a conversation with you 
than about a second principle that I discovered in, in the Old Testament book of Daniel. And I would say that it's one equally powerful and it, it can have as much of an effect on our life in a, in a good way as the one that we looked at last Sunday. And, and because really what it, what it does for us is exactly the same thing. It, it gives us what we need, not, not just simply just to survive, but so that you and I can thrive in the, in the hardest times that come into a, our lives. And I'm, I'm very thankful for this because as a pastor, one of the most heart-wrenching things that you go through is, is when you have a conversation with someone and they, they tell you that they're about ready to step away from any kind of a relationship with God because of, of the hard, hard thing that they're going through in their life that is overwhelming for them. And I might be Right now, today, that, that might be where you're at. And you'd say, Steve, I, I, you know, I wish we could sit down and talk because I've, in, in all my life, I've never been as tempted as I am right now to walk away from God because what I'm going through, literally, it's just, it's overwhelming me. It, it's too a harder thing for me to go through. And through the years, I've, I've had many conversations like this. And every time I have, I've tried my very best to help the person I'm talking with to be able to have the, the right perspective on what they're going through. And that's what I'd like to do again this morning with, with all of us. Because it doesn't take long being a pastor to know that, that on a morning like this, there's, there's more than a few of us who right now are running on fumes spiritually. Where life is very, very hard for you and you're wondering, how am I going to survive this thing? How am I going to get through and if, that, if that's not where you're at today, I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. I, you know, it's not a place that any one of us ever want to be in. But I got to tell you, kind of a heads up, that if you're not in that place today, it's, you're going to be there at some point in the future where you're going through a really, really hard time. In fact, I remember hearing a statement years ago where somebody said, you're either, you're either coming, uh, coming out of a hard time, you're in the middle of the hard time, or you're, you're going into a hard time. And that might, might be a bit of an exaggeration, but I, you know, I, I, don't think it, I don't think it is. And I do know this, that I've, I've, I've been a pastor long enough, and I've ne- in all the years that I've been a pastor, I've never met anybody who's had any length of years in their life where they've been able to totally avoid the hard stuff that comes with life. In fact, Jesus spoke of it as something that is inevitable for those who follow him as his disciples. And not just simply because life on earth can be hard, but he, he was saying that, that this is something that will be true for your life, he said, if you follow me as, as, your, as, as, as my disciple. He made a statement about this hours before his crucifixion to his disciples when he was looking into their future. And, and he said this, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. He's saying this is a, this is a hard world you live in, and, and it will become even harder if you're a follower of mine, if you become my disciple. And the reason for that, he said, is, is really because of the opposition that you're going you're gonna to face because of your faith in me. And I, you know, I had... As he's saying that to them, he's saying to them, it's going to be worth it. Because in the end, I'm coming back, and I'm going to, I'm going to make everything 
right, that's so wrong. And, and I think about that, that whole statement that he made, and I think, I mean, this is an incredible insight into the future to realize that the, the creator of this universe is returning to earth. And, and, and when he does, he's going to take this earth back, and, and he's going to restore it to everything that it is intended to be, and that includes you, and that includes me. And so that, that's an incredible promise. In fact, I, I, I would believe that it's what Jesus said is one of the most realistic and, and hope-filled pictures of the future that any one of us could ever hope to hear in, in our own lives. And what Jesus said points us to really a key truth that's in today's scripture from the Old Testament book of, of Daniel. And it's what gave Daniel's three friends the courage to do what they did when they were faced with their own, uh, their own faced with death because of their own, their own, uh, their own faith in God and their commitment to God. And for us today, it gives us a principle to guide us in everything that we do. So here's the truth and the principle that with, with it. Stating what Jesus said, Jesus will overcome the world, and then the principle for all of us is live with the end in mind. No matter what challenge you face, no matter how hard life becomes for you, base every decision, every choice, Everything you do, base all of that on this truth that Jesus will return to this earth, live with this perspective, fully convinced that this is how it ends. And I'll tell you, everybody, it will absolutely be a game changer for you. You'll grow in your relationship with God. You will, you will, you will be able to live the life that God calls each one of us to live. You'll be able to maximize, really, everything that God created and redeemed you to be. All right? So let's see, let's see how Daniel's three friends modeled this for us. And what we're going to discover is that it all comes down to the connection between the second and the third chapters of this book. In fact, I got to tell you something. I, I wish I'd kept all the cards where this has happened to me through the years because I have. I have read the book of Daniel so many times, going all the way back to when I was a kid and, and read it many times in this sermon, but I still wasn't getting this connection between the second chapter and the third chapter. And so God did to me what he's done several times as I preached this, you know, prepared a sermon. I, in fact, I wish he'd do it all the time because it'd be so much easier. But since I didn't get it during the day when I was working on the sermon, and God just like, he woke me up at night. It's like he gave it to me in the middle of the night. And I, I, uh, I did what I've done other times. I ran downstairs, carefully, and, and, uh, and, and pulled out a three-by, uh, a little card where I always keep them in the kitchen. And I wrote down what this connection is. And the connection is, in the second chapter, God gave to Nebuchadnezzar a, a a, a vision of the, a dream of the future. And then God gave Daniel an understanding of that dream, what it meant, and that is that God is going to return to this earth. He's going to set up his eternal kingdom. Exactly what Jesus told his disciples, giving Daniel's three friends, and here's the connection, giving to them the reason they needed to trust God completely and live with that end in mind, which is what we're going to see them do in the, in the third chapter. So first of all, chapter 2 and Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to tell it, all right? And um, 
Some of you here have heard this, like me, many, many times. You've read the book of Daniel many times. But there's others of you who are here today. This is going to be all new stuff. And so I'm going to, you know, for those of you who've heard this before, just stick with me. And, uh, and, and those of you who've never heard it before, I think you're going you're to be amazed at this whole story. So read the second chapter of Daniel. And you discover that in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. In fact, it was more like a nightmare because it, 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 it was so disturbing to him. And so he called in his dream team, all right, his dream team. That, that were his magicians, his astrologers, his sorcerers, and what was the other one? Uh, uh, enchanters, okay? That was his dream team. And they were like the top dogs in, in, in Babylon's religious community because, because everybody was convinced they, they had this ability to interpret dreams. You'd, you'd tell them their, your dream and, and then they'll, they'll tell you what it meant. O- only uh, Nebuchadnezzar's not, not as convinced. And so he changes the rules on these guys. He, he calls them in and he says to them, tell you what, he said, I want you to tell me what I dreamed first. Because I don't really believe you guys know as much as you think you know. I want you to tell me your, the dream I dreamed, and then I want you to, to interpret it for me. I mean, you've got to love this. He, Nebuchadnezzar's on to these guys, all right? He, he's, he's, calling, he's calling them out, you know? And, and, and you read the story, and you, you hear them whining big time. And, and it only works against them, because now Nebuchadnezzar's convinced they're fakes. And so... He orders not only the execution of the guy standing in the room with him, but every single one of their peers. He's, it's like he's clearing the deck completely. Not a good deal for Daniel and his three friends because through no choice of their own, they're, they're part of this group. But true to form, Daniel doesn't panic. He doesn't go into hiding. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he asks for time. And then he goes to his three friends and he asks them to pray. And so they pray, Daniel prays, and God answers their prayer, gives Daniel what it was that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, and the interpretation to the dream. And it's a phenomenal dream. Phenomenal dream. It's, a, it's global in its impact, and it's, and, and it's totally about the future. And here's what the dream was. Nebuchadnezzar saw this this gigantic, this enormous statue that's destroyed by a rock. A statue that's divided into four parts. Each one of those parts, as, as Daniel interprets the dream, represents four different kingdoms. Beginning with the Babylonian Empire that, that ends, that then succeeded by three, under, three other empires. And then, ultimately, the end of it all is that there's this rock that's carved out of a mountain that represents the kingdom of God, telling, telling the future that, that the day's going to come when God's going to break into human history, destroy all the kingdoms on this earth, bring an end to every single ruler, and set himself up as, as king and uh, ruler of this whole earth. Amazing. Amazing dream. Now, how do you ever forget that kind of a dream? Well, Nebuchadnezzar must have forgotten it because fast, <clears throat> fast forward, months later, most likely, and chapter 3, we see Nebuchadnezzar taking this 
giant step backward where it seems like the only thing he can remember about the dream is that he was the head of gold. And, and so he has this, this enormous gold statue built, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. In fact, we, um, I thought it would be good to be able to visualize this, so I had somebody come down and, and, and you know, find out how, how tall this is the, the, from floor to ceiling in this room. And so really that statue is more than twice as high as, as this room that we're in today. And it's, and it's nine, feet, nine feet wide. So then he rounds up all of his leaders from every part of his empire, has them, you know, all stand in front of this statue. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I bet every one of those guys knew what that, who that statue represented, that it was Nebuchadnezzar himself. Now, as I'm processing all of this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that Nebuchadnezzar did some more thinking about that dream of his. And he didn't much like that part where the Babylonian Empire is going to end. I mean, despots, those kind of leaders never want their empire to... to to, to end. It's like they think they're going to live forever themselves. And so I think he's, he's feeling threatened. And so it's loyalty to, to their leader time. And, and really, I mean, leaders still do this when they're feeling insecure. The only difference is you take a dictator like Nebuchadnezzar who's got absolute power and they can get people to do what no other leader can do. And so he demands that everyone show their loyalty by bowing down and worshiping the statue. And in case just anybody's not inclined to doing that, he's got this blazing furnace in everybody's sight. And, and I, th I think they're all saying, I can do that. I can do that. And I, I, I bet it was like a, a race to see who hit the ground first. With the exception of three men. Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everyone around them is on the ground. They're, they're standing tall. Really, really an incredible act of devotion to God. Now, it's still happening in our world today. It reminds me of the Christians in Egypt who refused to turn away from their faith in, in Jesus to a faith in Muhammad, knowing that if they didn't, they'd lose their heads. And I'll never forget this picture. It's like it's carved into my mind. It's a powerful statement of faith up there. The thing, you know, when, when all of us look at a, at, a, at a picture like that, the thing we've got to understand is that's something that could happen to any one of us in the world we're living in. So really what this whole story is about is very relevant for all of us because we could be facing that. When Nebuchadnezzar finds out, and he's furious, he gives them one more chance to bow the knee and threatens them with death if they, if they don't. And he throws out, really, you know, like throws out what, what he thought was a parting shot. He, he, said, he said to them, if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I had some fun with that. I wondered to myself if, if these guys were tempted to quote Nebuchadnezzar himself and answer to his question that he was asking them, you know, 
When, what, what, what Nebuchadnezzar said to Daniel after Daniel interpreted his dream, where, where he said this, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. I, I think they might have thought of doing that, but then going, I don't think so. Might not go so well, you know? You, you, you know how that works, right? If you're, if you're in a very tense conversation with somebody, and you quote them to show that you're right and they're wrong, how well does that ever go? You know, not so well, right? And so they didn't say it, but they believed it. And here's where they see, we see these three men trusting God and basing their response on, on the tr truth of, of who God is and that God is really the sovereign ruler of every, uh, of every kingdom, every, every king. Every ruler. Um, so he, here's their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. That's a powerful statement of, of faith and trust in God. But I got to tell you that what they said right after that, I, I think is equally powerful, if not even more powerful than, than that statement, where they, where they said this. But even if he does not, even if he doesn't deliver us from the furnace, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold. You've set up. They're facing a worst-case scenario. And they went into it knowing what they would and would not do. What we talked about last Sunday, they had already pre-decided what they would do. They resolved to remain faithful to God, and they knew that they would never serve any one of Nebuchadnezzar's gods, and so certainly they would not bow down and worship the statue. Death was, death was escapable for these men. All they had to do was bow the knee, but they didn't. And so, at his command, that fire was heated seven times hotter. I wondered, you know, how hot is seven times hotter? I guess really hot, right? I mean, it's hot. No question in anybody's mind, it's going to be hot. And so they're thrown into the fire. And we read this. I mean, I, you know, I've always been amazed by this, going all the way back to when I was a kid. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. I'm guessing if it wasn't even what Nebuchadnezzar was seeing, they'd still say the same thing, right? You're right. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and, and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Thinking about this, I, I wouldn't want to come out of that furnace. 
I mean, they're walking around with Jesus himself. Here they are. They're thrown into this furnace because they wouldn't worship one of Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And they find themselves in the presence of God himself. I mean, who'd ever want to leave that kind of a furnace? I think I'd say to them, give us an hour. You know, just give us an hour in this furnace. But they come out. And Nebuchadnezzar has his second come-to-Jesus moment. You've got to love this guy, you know? I mean, not really, but, but look at what he said. Look at this. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And then this statement. This is powerful. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. He's talking about himself there. He said, they defied me and, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. That's the story. Now here's what not to miss. As much as we might like and want to avoid the furnaces of life, it's in the furnace that we meet Jesus the most. He's a furnace kind of a God. You see, trusting God and resolving to do right in the hardest of times will always bring you to where Jesus is. And it turns out to be the best place you could possibly be. Not the easiest. No, not the easiest. But the best. Because it's there, really, it's there that you experience his, his guide, guidance and his wisdom and his strength like you can experience nowhere else. It's where you learn to trust God. It's where your faith in God grows. It's, it's where God can form his character in you. And friends, this is so good to know because, because the way our, our world is going these days, some of our hardest and most challenging times are coming. They really are. And the best prayer that you and I can pray isn't, God, protect me from the furnace. You see, really the best prayer we can pray is, God, God, give me the privilege to show my devotion to you, even if it means that I'm going to be in a furnace. And God, strengthen me to trust you. And God, strengthen me to be faithful to you. You see, it all comes down to this key truth. Jesus will overcome the world. And so you and I can live with this principle that we can live with the end in mind. No matter what challenge comes, no matter how hard life gets, base every decision, every choice, everything you do on the truth that Jesus ultimately will overcome this world. He'll take it back. It'll be his. And live with this principle. Live with the end in mind. No matter, no matter what. Live with this perspective, fully convinced that this is how it ends. And I can tell you, I can guarantee you this, on the basis of God's word, it'll be a game changer for you. You'll grow in your relationship with God. You'll, you'll live the life that God calls you to live. You'll maximize what God created and redeemed you to be. 
You ask me, what, 55 years, if you did. If you ask me, what, 55 years of following Jesus and 39 years of being a pastor have convinced me is most important for all of us to know and build our lives on. And it's this truth that Jesus, the Son of God, is coming back to this earth and he's going to overcome it all. He's going to overcome it all. With all my heart, I believe what Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians where he said this amazing thing about Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. It's where he's at right now. And gave them a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And ask me. Ask me how it should impact our lives. And I'll say it's for us to live each and every day with this end in mind. Let it guide every thought that you have. Let it guide every word that you speak. Let it guide every decision, every choice that you make, everything that you do. Let it guide you. The end in mind. So thankful that as a child, my parents and my church taught me that someday, someday I'm going to stand before my Savior. And someday I'm going to bow my knee to him as my Lord. And I'm so thankful that by God's grace, this, this amazing truth has strengthened and guided me for all of these years. And i got to tell you, I think often about that day when I'm going to stand before Jesus. And when I do think about it, I'm, first of all, filled with gratitude for God's grace in my life. I'm so thankful that God sent his son Jesus to be my savior because I'm a, sa I'm a sinner. And I needed God's forgiveness through his son Jesus Christ. I needed Jesus to take all of my sin on himself. And what it's done for me, it's taken away every bit of fear of, that, of the biggest moment in my life when I'm going to stand before God himself, eternal son of God, my Savior and my Lord. And when I think about that day, <laughs> When all that's blinded me to his glory and his power and his majesty, when all the blinders are off, everything in me, everything in me wants to hear him say, you've done well, Steve. You've done well. And I want to be able to say as much as I can say to myself, man, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I did that, and I'm so glad I did that. And, and I want to I be able to say as little of, I wish I had done that. I wish I had done that. And most of all, I want this to be true of me in the hardest times in my life. So how about you? First of all, i got to ask you, do you are, are you still living with fear when... When you think of that day that you're going to stand before God, if you are, I've got great news for you this morning. 
It's possible for all of that fear to be taken away because God loves you as much as he loves me. And God sent his son to be your savior just like he sent his son to be my savior. There's so many verses in the Bible about this. I could, just, I could just give you one after the other, but one of my favorite is the statement that Paul made. He said, the wages of sin is death. What he's talking about there is what you and I deserve because of all of our sin is eternal separation from God. We deserve hell. We, we, we deserve to be fearful of God. The verse doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, you see, you see, what I can tell you this morning is in these next few minutes, even as I'm talking, you can just bow your head. You can have this conversation with God yourself, and you can say, God, I'm a sinner, and I want Jesus as my Savior. You pray that simple prayer. God hears you. And, and friend, you can, you can know that you can walk out of this place and not have any fear of someday standing before the eternal Son of God, because you know what? You'll stand before him, and he'll be your Savior. Be your Savior. <laughs> and then if you're a follower of Jesus, and you came into this place this morning, and you're a follower of Jesus, i got to ask you, how, how does knowing that, that someday you're going to stand before the eternal Son of God, how does that impact your life each day? You think about it often? How does it determine what's most important to you? What effect is it having on your love for people? I mean, how is it influencing what you do and, and what you don't do? How, how does it change the time that you're, you give to people who are far from God? How often are you, are you sharing your faith with them? How's it impacting what you're doing with the money that God's giving you the ability and the opportunity to learn? How's it giving you, how is it giving you strength to persevere the hardest of times? See, it's true, everybody. Jesus will overcome the world. He really will. The creator of this universe is coming back to this earth that he created. And he's going to make everything wrong right. The creator, taking back his creation, restoring everything, including you and me, to what God created us. to be. It's amazing. And so it gives to us this principle, this thing to live by, and that is to live with the end in mind. Live with that end in mind that ultimately, that's how it's all going to end. It's going to be incredible. So, you might be asking yourself the question right now, man, Steve, how do I do this? How do I do this? How, how, how can I do what these three guys did? Well, number one, I would say make time every day for reading God's Word. Anybody here last Sunday? Anyway, did I say this last week? Yeah, I did. See, I got to tell you, everybody, without doing this, you won't have what you need to do what Daniel's three friends did. And so, I'm going to say what I said last Sunday. I'm going to... 
I am so excited about next year because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us as, as a church in reading through Scripture next year. And I'm going to do everything I can in these next few weeks to convince as many of you as I can to take this journey with me and read through Scripture. Not just read through Scripture, but read it every day, every day. Because it's as, it's as much as a matter of reading it every day as reading all of it. So to help us with this, I'm going to provide a, a reading plan, and I'm going to preach along every week what you've been reading in Scripture. I'm going to preach out of that, that Scripture each Sunday. And this is where I encourage uh, I'm, all of our community groups to be doing this, and we're going to be meeting with our community group leaders and talking about how we can unpack all of this and do this. And, and I'm hoping that we'll even have more people, you know, as many of us as possible in, in a small group setting to help each other, you know, to keep motivating and pushing each other. And, uh, you know, like I, I think I said last Sunday, like when we do the book of Leviticus, we're going to give everybody a little sticker that says I made it through Leviticus, you know, <laughs> that kind of a, kind of a deal. Um, but we got, you know, if you've ever been in a small group, you know, it really helps to have other people doing the journey with you. It's like sports, you know. Working out, that kind of stuff, right? I'll just say again, I'm going to be looking for a lot more leaders of small groups, so talk to me, all right? One more thought before I let you go, all right? This is very important. Some of you sitting here this morning, would say, you know, I'm a little jealous of the three guys in the furnace because they were in for a little while and then they got out. Steve, I've been in the furnace for years. If we were talking, that's what you would say. Steve, I've been in the furnace for a long time and I know I'm never going to get out of the furnace. It's going to be with me the rest of my life. And I just want to say to you this morning, and I'm speaking for both Becky and myself. We've been in the furnace for five years since we lost our son Greg, and we know that we're going to be in the furnace for the rest of our life. But I want to say to you, and this comes from experience, that even though you're never going to get out of the furnace if that's where you're at, what I'm saying this morning is still true. I know it is. Because Jesus has been with us in the furnace. I mean, he's gotten us, he's been with us every day. He was with me yesterday. I can tell you when I, I can tell you the very spot when I cried out to him. He's in the furnace with us. And he'll be in the furnace with you. And Beck and I are living every day knowing how it's going to end. Knowing that Jesus will overcome this earth. I mean, we just dream of that day. We're excited about it like we've never been excited about it before. It's like we're torn, like we wanted to have a full life on this earth, but man, if Jesus comes back today, that'd be cool. Yeah. It'd be incredible. Everything made absolutely perfect. To be in the presence of the eternal God forever. See our son. This absolute perfection. God intended for all of us. 
That's what gives us the strength to live every day, to keep on trusting and, and keep on committing ourselves to doing what is right, even in those times with everything within us, we're, we're just so tired from our sorrow. Everything in, within us is just fighting us, yet we're going to keep on persevering. It's worth it. We know how it's going to end. And our Jesus is with us. Every step on our journey. And the same can be true for you. Let's stand and let's pray. Okay? Father, this morning... We're just so grateful to you for loving us. That's amazing, really. And Lord Jesus, just be able to get in our minds around this amazing thing that you did for us, that you, you became one with us in our humanity to such an extent that you came to be with us in, in the furnaces of our lives to walk with us to hear us, to listen to us, to love us, to give us the strength, to give us the courage, to give us everything that we need. We're so grateful. And Father, this morning, I pray for any one of us here today who's in the furnace right now. God, I ask for your blessing. I ask for your strength. I ask for your comfort. I ask, God, that you would you would give just a very, very clear vision of the end, how it's all going to end. Father, we praise you. Thank you. In your precious Son's name, and for your glory, amen.